everyone, welcome to Mecca Talks, your access all areas pass to the beauty, business and lifestyle experts we call our community. I'm Kate Blythe, Chief Marketing Officer here at Mecca. And I'm Zhao Wong, Head of Content. In today's episode, we're exploring the steps to sustainability in fashion and beauty with Necessaire co-founder and CEO, Randy Christensen, and the founder of Wardrobe Crisis, Claire Press. So today we're touching on a highly requested topic, sustainability. It's a big one. That is a big one. And that is so broad as well. So how are we going to get into it, Zara, today? It's a bit, it's so, you know, where do we start? So we've got Claire Press on the podcast, who is a podcaster, a bit like us, as well as an author, a sustainability consultant and founder of The Wardrobe Crisis, a sustainable fashion platform that exists to educate, raise awareness and drive change in the fashion industry. So she's got a lot of the um, answers, hopefully, that we to our hopefully. masses of questions. Hopefully, but I think the way that I think she approaches it quite well is that it's all about baby steps. There's not necessarily one right answer. It's yeah. about what works for you. And it's not just about recycling. So exactly. I think, you know, we get stuck on, obviously packaging and we have TerraCycle in store and making sure our all of our um, packaging is recyclable but there's so much to it it's about the supply chain it's about understanding um, impact on the environment it's about mental health it's about diversity and inclusion so actually sustainability as a kind of more overarching mm. piece is is really huge and and I think um, to you know to Claire's point I think she'll be great at helping us break that down into manageable chunks so you can actually put that into action. Yeah, and I love how we have TerraCycle in all our stores and also TerraCycle in the office. So for those who don't know, TerraCycle is where you bring your used beauty packaging in store and we help you recycle it. And what I love about it is that we have a box, a TerraCycle box in the office and I go in and I put my stuff in, I can see what everyone else is using. Yeah, I really yeah. <laughs> use it like, as oh. a nosy moment, yeah. do you? <laughs> Urban Decay All Night is very popular. <laughs> That's so funny. I love it. I need to get some of that, actually, you know, just to kind of keep the set makeup on. Set, set it, really. Set it. Um, and I think we're also going to be speaking to um, the founders behind Necessaire, aren't we? So it's new to Mecca. It's a personal care brand in pursuit of a more responsible approach. The branding is really cool. The beautiful aesthetics. The formulas are incredible. Pricing is really quite reasonable and among other things they're climate carbon and plastic neutral yes and i think some of the some of the brands that we are working with as well are super interesting in the space so you know there's rose inc necessaire la mer ren chantecai um who really think about their the origins and how to give back to the environment and you know and when we were speaking to alex at chantecai how they connect back to brands like rose inc necessaire ren chantecai who are all really leading the charge yeah. in this space. And they've got their own mission. So Ren, for example, is really focused on ocean waste. Shantika, as you said, is really focused on animal conservation. So it's finding the kind of values that work for you and the brand. Like I think we'll talk about this with Claire. No one's perfect. We can't get to perfection, but it's the little steps. Absolutely. And on that note, let's chat to Claire Press. Let's get her in. So today we're very excited. Zara and I are in Sydney in a, a podcast studio and we have the fabulous, wonderful, thought-provoking Claire Press here today with us. Hello, Claire. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that we finally get you on this podcast, Claire. It's absolutely an honour and I can't wait. 
And I mean, you've got a pretty long list of descriptions for what you are. We've got them here actually in front of us. You're the founder of Sustainable Fashion Platform Wardrobe Crisis. But we really want to find out what that means. We know you're a podcast, you're a journalist, you're a consultant, presenter. You love vintage fashion, which I know we've talked a lot about before. And at one point, you were Vogue's first sustainability editor. So what is your elevator pitch? <laughs> so this is funny because yesterday I was coaching, holding a masterclass for some African fashion designers for the United Nations Ethical Fashion Initiative. Long-winded way of saying I was teaching a class and it was about communications and I was encouraging them to fine-tune their elevator pitch so that when they got oh, an wow. opportunity to talk about mm. their brand, they would nail it. Oh, so you've got yours ready to go. Well, before we <laughs> did, did you have an example? <laughs> before we started, I realised I haven't got one. Ah. So I better come up with one on the spot and it was something like... It was quite hard sell because that's what I was encouraging them to do. Yeah. It was something like, my name's Claire Press and I'm the host of the biggest, most important sustainable fashion <laughs> podcast in the world. I was Vogue's first sustainability editor and I'm on a mission to transform fashion into a more sustainable, responsible, inclusive industry. That is, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And I overdid it on purpose because I wanted to mm. persuade them that if you start at the top talking yourself up and practice, you can come back to being a bit more... Natural conversation yeah. and not completely egotistical. Yeah. But it also take, gets the attention, right? So that would be the whole point. You need to sort Headline of... grabbing. Yes, there you go. I think it's good to be able to sum up what you do in a couple of words mm -hmm. or yeah. a couple of sentences. And if I summed up what I did, it would be these days sustainability communications. I and, like that. And tell me where you started, right? So you started back in kind of the world of journalism and fashion. How did you get into this world of sustainability mm. communications? Because it's it's not like an in immediate route that lots of people have taken, okay. right? Because we, you know, back in the old days of journalism and fashion, and that, that was me as well and Zara, we were, it was all about, we weren't necessarily, you know, terrible to say it, but we weren't really thinking in that way. And I think it's, things have moved quite fast. Um, so how did you, how did you end up where you are today? Absolutely. We've changed so much. Um, I don't think when I started looking at sustainability, most people in my industry, except the specialists, had thought about it at all. Mm. And I hadn't. Mm. Um, I always loved clothes and I always interviewed lots of interesting designers through my work in fashion magazines and was curious about how they made things. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know the first thing about the impacts of the industry on people and planet. Yeah. Or I hadn't connected the dots between environmentalism and manufacturing, how we process and make clothes. I didn't know the first thing about things like the water impacts of our mm. industry or even actually back then, because it was about 2015 when I started on this path, I didn't know about plastic pollution. I don't think we mm. did. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. So, so and, now the, and the people impact as well. You yeah. know, it's like we, the sort of the supply chain element of tracking it all the way back to the original roots of the garment and to understand how it's gone on its whole journey to being in a store. I think we were just like thinking about it coming from a factory into the store. So there was like a whole piece there that we weren't considering. I think we thought about the star designer. Yeah, very much mm. so. And the runway moment, mm -hmm. if you're in fashion. And if you're not, you're behind the scenes in fashion, you thought about how gorgeous the outfit was, if you would look good in it. And fair enough, that's the end result. But 
you mentioned supply chains. I mean, I didn't know that word, that phrase mm-hmm. when I started doing this. And it's interesting to think about that because I have been a journalist for 20 years. Yeah. So this was 2015, so seven years ago. Mm. I was a journalist then. You'd think I would know this stuff, but it wasn't out there. Mm. Yeah. We hadn't connected it. So fast forward, I now work outside of mainstream journalism. I don't work for magazines anymore. But I've just got a radically different view of what fashion does, what its responsibilities are, and what Mm. we should do with it. And what is that? (laughs) You can't leave us hanging. That's That's a great segue. I think... Most of what I do is try and get people to think about connecting with what they wear in Mm -hmm. a different way. Yeah. And so that means to me connecting with the people behind it, behind the making of it, Mm -hmm. but also connecting with the object, the product, the garment, so that we take better care of it. And that doesn't sound very sexy, does it? And we love, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're in fashion, you want the fun and the glamour and the gorgeousness you want to feel good you don't want to feel guilty or like you have to take care of something so there's tension there mm-hmm. but I think if you get that right you have a better relationship with your clothes and it extends to other stuff your yeah. products your so thinking stuff. about what you buy how yeah. you wear it how long you'll wear it not wearing you know have you think of the longevity of it all and not thinking season to season where you have it and you get rid of it and then you move on to the next and you feel like you're out of trend which is probably how lots of people used to you know shop and we, Zara, because you and I used to work together, we we made that. Of course. We fed that. And I think unknowingly, for me, I didn't really understand my role. And all right, I was only a tiny cog in a big machine, but I mm. still had a role in making people feel less and, you know, making them feel that if only they bought the new thing. Yeah things would be better for them. Yes. That is rubbish, isn't it? Yeah. And it and you're right. It had it doesn't give you it gives you a very short-term kind of buzz. I also think that you can get more joy if you recalibrate your relationship with your stuff. So forget trying to be perfect, recognize that you will still have lots of stuff that doesn't I'm going to say conform to sustainability. I've got loads of things that don't mm. tick the right boxes. That's all right. So forget perfection, but just try to connect more with with everything around you that you buy. So it's not for me. It's not just clothes. It's um, you know how people get new kitchen looks every season. Yeah, I found that out recently. I've got a friend well, who like works in whole... West Elm. She said people come in uh, every and they... season. It's twenty twenty two. It's time to redo the kitchen. Oh wow! Oh, really? Year. Wow! They That's... come in and they say, "I'm thinking coral highlights and." <laughs> gold bronze accents can you help me with that and then she'll help them and they'll say right so we'll need to change and then everything so they get rid of everything and I said no no there'd be people dressing houses for sale and she said that no that just oh that is that's unbelievable the trends have moved outside of just fashion we're actually now having fast furniture yeah, interesting. Do you like find that. yourself as you're like a um, okay? So you started off as a as a, a thought partner for the fashion world in terms of s- sustainability and thinking differently about that. Do you think that your role is evolving? Then, as you see these trends evolving around, you know, whether it's fast furniture, whether it's it could be anything. Do you see your role evolving into more different spaces mm. in the sus- sustainability world? Well. I 
think anyone can change their career focus anytime they want. And I've definitely done that. I'm not sure if anyone sees me in a role of anything, really. Mm. You just... I think if you're a journalist by heart, you're just curious. And so you follow Mm -hmm. whatever thread appeals to you and Mm. see where it takes you. So for me, I have moved out of fashion a bit. But I'm only listened to in fashion. I think people expect... (laughs) I think that's fair enough as well. People expect me to talk about sustainability in fashion and that's my area of expertise. So I don't think people are looking to me to tell them about degrowth economics. But that's actually what I'm more interested Mm. in these days. And I think... That's all right. You're allowed to evolve. Exactly. And how does your work with the UN come into play? Because that's pretty mega. (laughs) It sounds so (laughs) lovely, doesn't it? The UN. The UN's a huge, huge organisation with loads of other, loads of different parts to it. So it's not like I'm sitting there with presidents and country leaders shaping policy, I'm afraid, one day. That'd be so good. Get right in there. Um, How do you get involved with them? So the UN's a huge organisation. Obviously, I work with uh, an agency which is part of them and the International Trade Commission, and it's called the Ethical Fashion Initiative. And it all just happened because I interviewed the guy who runs it, who's an Italian, a very charismatic, ebullient Italian. He's called Simone Cipriani. And I literally just interviewed him for a small story for Vogue and he changed my whole life. At the end of it... Wow. He we was, told him that. Yeah, he knows because we work <laughs> together now. At the end of it, when we'd finished the formal interview, I said to him, oh, I don't even know why I said this. It's a strange thing to do in an interview with someone you don't know. Mm. That was on the phone. So we weren't connecting. Yeah. But I just said, oh, I feel so like I don't make a difference. And you do all this stuff every day. I wish I could do something that would make a difference. And being the character he is, he said, but, well, make one. And I said, well, but I can't. I'm just a writer. I just write about clothes. And he said, all right, a book. <laughs> and the work that he does is about <laughs> connecting marginalised artisanal communities, particularly in Kenya, but also in Burkina Faso, now in Afghanistan, so all around the world, with big fashion. So that's what he does. But as a result, they've put, I don't know the recent numbers, but then it was seven, I always remember, 7,000 people into dignified work, not Mm. charity, just Mm. work, but allowing them to really have a transformative impact on their communities. And so I said all this to him and he said, so write a book. And I did, just because of him. And I interviewed him for it a bit. And now we co-host a podcast together. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, so your podcast and um, is obviously cooking on gas and you've got all this work you're doing with the UN, you're working with, you know, in so many different ways. What, what else are you plotting and planning? Well, I mostly focus on my podcasts these days and then an extension of wardrobe crisis, which is online courses. So the two podcasts I work on is wardrobe crisis, which is all about sustainable fashion and has been going on for yonks. And then the one that I do with Simone, which is called Ethical Fashion, and we do small series. Mm. We did the last series about African designers, and we're working on one that's going to come out in September, which is about sort of C-suite power brokers in Mm -hmm. the sustainability space in fashion. But yeah, I just started an online course platform. I made it up as I went along again. We love a bit of edutainment. It is fun. Yeah. Yeah, people did ask at the beginning, do we get a qualification? I was like, no, let me not oversell this. 
<laughs> but you it can't could, graduate. But you might be able to, yeah, you can sort of evolve You can to get that a digital certificate. One day. <laughs> yeah. So always aim high. And it's that, I love that sort of idea of always learning and always absorbing new information. Well, I love that we democratize this. So the reason that I made the course platform mm. was because in sustainability, if you want to learn, you've got a few choices and they're quite hardcore. Yeah. Go to university. If you're working, quit your job and find the money mm. and go to university for three years to study, I don't know, circularity mm. or soil science. Or be that person in your organisation who is anointed as the one who they're going to invest in to upskill. Mm -hmm. Well, that's no good, is it? I wanted to make a course that you could do if you were in retail, if you worked in the yeah. store, if you had a casual interest but didn't want to dedicate your whole time to learning about these things, if you were confused and felt like the onus was on you to do a load of research at the weekend. Who wants to do that? And for, you know, at Mecca, we have obviously a lot of customers, a lot of fans who really love beauty. And how can they get started? I think our customers are amazing because they... Some really know a lot about sustainability and their choices and conscious beauty, but some are just at the beginning of that journey. Where do you start? Because it's, as yeah. Kate was saying, it's such a big question. It is. And I think it's so multifaceted. It's not just one or the other. It's not just about, um, you know, the supply chain. It's It can be about the formulations. Yeah. It can be about, you know, and actually we've got some amazing brands in the conscious space um, who are really thinking about, masses of the their production and how it impacts the environment but also how it impacts the people that are making it and how it impacts the you know there's so much that goes into that thinking um and but it doesn't mean that we don't you know we absolutely love our science brands as well and what and how they sort of play in play in you know especially in skincare what you said there about how difficult and how time consuming it is to change things or can be maybe not the website fix but packaging yeah people have no idea how difficult it is and they say and i understand it i would say this too if i didn't know just do it what do you mean just stop being wasteful or yes. mm. polluting the planet or using that terrible fabric and that makes sense until you understand how long it takes to turn a supply chain around. Like, for example, cotton. If you want to transition mm. a field from mm. conventional, which is a funny way to talk about the regular stuff, but that's how we do it, to organic cotton, it takes three years. Mm. So what do you do in the meantime? You have lower yields. You lose money. Yeah. You have to have the support of your partners or your brands who are buying your product to help you get there. It's not actually just something mm. you say in a meeting. Oh, let's yeah, switch to this. It's Which is why you see brands doing kind of little mini capsules, don't you, of their sustainability collection and fashion. So it's like they can't, they can't do the whole lot. But they'll do like a little mini conscious piece. Oh, yes. Wouldn't you say? And, and that is actually <laughs> your thoughts on that that's a challenge in itself the problem is that when brands do that sometimes not always they stop and then they use it to market how fabulous they are mm. and make a lot of fuss a disproportionate amount of fuss about that sustainable capsule while 90 percent of what they make is all the same as it used to be and then they say but we're trickling down these materials or processes into the main collection and maybe they are but yeah you have to look into it oh yeah you don't the lifting the lid is a mm. big lid to lift so okay. because i'm in fashion that's what they ask me so they say how to fix oh you're an expert yeah. well, not even that just what do i choose yeah so they go you're an expert do i choose a or b 
do I choose this brand or this one? And all they really want is for someone to show them how to do better so they can mm. choose this over this. But it doesn't work like that. And there's never an A or B answer, or very rarely. And the answer, unfortunately, which doesn't work for a pithy quote, <laughs> is it depends, dot, yeah. dot, dot. And you have to, my advice is always, you've got to choose according to your values. Yes. And like you say, recognize the trade-off. Mm. So forget perfection and say, for me, for example, I'm actually not vegan, so I'm using this hypothetically, but you could say vegan is my thing. It's I'm going to choose to go for animal. I'm going to th- put animals in mind with every decision I make, and that's going to be yes. the lens through which I make these choices. And that will give you a different outcome to the one that you would get if you said, I'm going to focus on climate impacts and look for the lowest emissions option. Or I'm really worried about social justice and I'm going to look for the option where I know that people have been paid a living wage. Mm. You're not going to get them all. Yeah. It's so overwhelming. There's so many problems and challenges and how do you like Mm. keep on Mm. going, you know, because it it is quite stressful to think about. It's stressful because you feel that you're like your one voice, you know, in billions Mm -hmm. and it's um, you kind of need the groundswell, don't you, of, of more voices. Honestly... When I didn't do this as a job, I was much more worried and overwhelmed than now that I do do that. So I used to panic a bit. I've stopped panicking, really. I used to panic when I would read those things about ocean plastic Mm. or, oh, don't read that David Foster Wallace book about um, an uninhabitable earth. All that stuff, it's dreadful. If you look Mm. at the possibilities, particularly on climate, of what we face mm. if we carry on as a civilization doing what we do, that is frankly terrifying. Mm. So the answer to that is action. And if you are actively involved in trying to change things, even on a really small scale, because I'm only on a small scale, I'm not powerful, I'm just a person with a podcast, I'm not the government. But you've got connections to the UN. Uh, (laughs) that's pretty powerful nice nice one um (laughs) even if you're I was talking to my sister-in-law about this it could be just about what you do in terms of telling your kids about plastic straws Mm. a tiny thing action stops you especially if you keep it up continuing momentum with action Mm -hmm. stops you freaking out it's such a shame with the covid pandemic how so much of that went backwards just because if you can't reuse and you, you know people weren't willing to wash your coffee cup and yeah. suddenly you've gone from being everybody turning up with there like we've got these cu- cups here today you turn up with your coffee cup and you would take it away and people would be very happy to and then suddenly it was like no there's people none of that no refillables yeah. and actually that was I was quite blown away Same. actually how much that shifted things back by years what I was thinking was that while it can seem like we're going backwards with things like that, which I've definitely felt that too, there's quite a lot of momentum around legislation generally. Mm-hmm. Generally. I'm thinking about the European Union in particular, but even in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, not as much here as we would like, but there is a move, a, a shift towards regulating a lot of these things that we notice need fixing. 
and if you look in that direction you can feel better so yeah when yes, when there are true. roadblocks like you yeah. can't use reusables it's yeah. annoying but there's also a big un plastics treaty that they just uh haven't figured out the details of but um they're just launched in nairobi in march so the world is seeing that we need to change and yeah. there's going to be laws. Now, if you were to say who you would look up to on a kind of sustainability, you know, in a sustainability way, who, who are those people that you think, oh, yeah, is it Leonardo DiCaprio? Oh, <laughs> um, he's doing amazing things, isn't he? Yeah. I wasn't going to say him, but I mean, good for him, right? And I really thought that film, which some people slammed, Don't Look Up, was terrific. Yeah. Um the uh, my answers were going to be a fairly obvious answers plus a local one so my fairly obvious answer is david attenborough because come on oh, doesn't he do a great deal for us he is the, the absolute he is the greatest of all time he He's is the goat. amazing he is the goat <laughs> See, he I'm is a to national a treasure. He's actually a world treasure. <laughs> Kelly Slater is actually the goat, by the way. I'm married <laughs> to a surfer, so that's the phrase one uses. Um, yeah. <laughs> David Attenborough. Um, also, how, I mean, how wonderful older people who are continuing to... I mean, that man is 90-something, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. And yet he's still working. Yeah. Jane Goodall. Yeah. yeah. Still writing books, still... Yeah, still doing yeah, her podcast. Oof, have you heard that? Hope I've forgotten the name of it, but it's about hope. It's oh. so it's superb. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with old and young. Yes. So David Attenborough and Jane Fonda and Jane Love Goodall. Jane Fonda. Um, mm, Vandana it, Shiva. She's not as old as they are, but she's an established, incredible, important activist and amazing. Aaron Tati Roy. Those people are really shifting conversations around climate and justice. But then I'm going to go with young people and I'm not going to go with Greta <laughs> because everyone knows about Greta. I'm going to recommend that you look up Vasha Yajman, who is a Sydney... Student, she's a uni student now, but she was part of School Strike for Climate. Oh, yes, she's about 19. She's terrific. Scott Morrison had called her out in a sort of harumphing middle aged mm. old man way, saying, Some of you school strike people should be in school. And then she aced her exams. And the, the Sydney one held around a funny story about I've forgotten the score and I'm not Australian, so I don't even know what you call them. What do you call them? HSC, some other ones, UAI. Eight R, probably. Anyway, she Came got whatever they are, the 90, whatever, yeah. 1999. Yeah. She was so clever. She did it all. And she was like, hmm, can protest and win at school. But she's terrific. And I look at her and the people that she... Mm. It's like a future generation. Her peers, and I think we'll be fine. Claire, as we know, as much as everybody wants to be, um, you know, green and to be thinking about the world with fashion in particular, and... How do they pull themselves away from that temptation of fast fashion where you do see something and it is affordable for you and you are going to feel great in it? And, you know, how do you mm. how would you encourage people to take a step back from that and consider? Mm. First of all, if you feel great in it and it's affordable and you think you're going to wear that and enjoy it, go for it. I'm not going to tell you not to buy clothes. I buy clothes. And I'm also not going to shame you by saying that my idea of a good brand is the answer and it's not okay for you to get something else. If you're going to wear it and honour it, 
and you can afford it and it's going to work in your life, fine, enjoy. Honestly, that's my advice. Mm. But I'd also ask you not to buy at any price point stuff that you don't really care about, Mm -hmm. haven't thought about on a whim and chuck it out. And that is actually what we do at a more luxury price point too. So don't add to fashion's waste crisis. Buy things that you're going to get your wear out of and just take a moment and think it through. You know, the, the classic advice is sleep on it. It's, yeah. do I don't pers- really do that. Yeah, but well, okay. How do you personally do it? What do you... You know, I'm... What, what do you think about when making those purchase decisions? I do research and choose the most sustainable option because I work in that space and I'm privileged enough to be able to afford to do that and have time to do that. So I do that. And I vote with my dollar and put my money where I think it's doing the best it can. Mm-hmm. Are you a are you a fan of all the reseller sites yes. as well? So, you know, when you've got I mean some amazing ones out there, even even with um, you know, not luxury product, Depop and very, amazing, you know, yeah. just to keep that circularity moving, right? I'll tell you a fun fact. There's a thing called ThreadUp in the States. It's a resale platform and they do these reports showing trends in the market. And fast fashion is due to be eclipsed by resale within the next, by the end of the decade, 2029. So resale is growing faster than fast fashion. And isn't that amazing? I mean, I think we're all getting more aware and we're all wanting to make better choices. The thing about resale is though, you still got to buy something that's going to hold its value. So... I think, again, it's just about thinking what's practical. I look for Mm. packaging because that's the thing I feel like I can control. Mm -hmm. So I try to buy, I try to avoid plastic, but it's impossible. I buy, I was thinking about this before I came, I buy bamboo cotton buds, which probably aren't perfect, but at least they're not plastic. Mm. I take my makeup off with, um, I only started doing this a few years ago, they're like, terry toweling little round they Mm. look like cotton wool pads but you wash them Mm. yeah reusable ones and i haven't managed to get this barnet to work with a shampoo bar Uh, (laughs) oh no i think that was that's that's quite a challenge uh so i have failed there so i'm a work in progress with beauty and i also still use the same lipstick i've used all my life and i can't shift it because i like it and I think that's what we, I was, I think my last, my parting thought is, I know I'm sort of letting everyone off saying, don't worry, just do what you want. But I think my point is the systems generally aren't in place for what we need. And so don't feel too guilty, but do try and find the best route for you to mm-hmm. make the most sustainable choice. If you can, now I know that you've got those in Mecca, I will be using that yeah. service. It's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. But if you can't find those services, we have to take action, however imperfect, and look for what your values are. If you're, like we talked about, vegan, or if you're looking to fight plastic pollution, if you're interested, Google the companies and find out what are their policies on climate? What are they telling you about their Mm. ingredients? Well, thank you so much, Claire. I think we covered so much. We've learnt so much from you. Definitely. Taken away so much. We've had a lot to think about now. We have, and I must remember to talk to the trees more because I hope your kids are talking to the trees. Yeah, but also just connect back in. Don't just be on the treadmill. I think that sometimes, you know, as it helps trigger the mind into thinking about, you know, the the wide world out there. But 
Yeah. Super fascinating. And we just love talking to you. And I think we could talk to you all day about this. And you're making us all think hard, which is exactly what we want. We want to get those conversations started. And we want to spark some entrepreneurial ideas around how to get people can help. Yeah. I think that's so something I, that all people will love to listen hopefully to. Hopefully people can listen to this and come back to us and tell them what tell us what they thought or any ideas they have. But Claire, I've always said this to you. I love how you deal with it in a really practical way. Like you're not shaming anyone for making that choice, but it's just being conscious of those choices. Also, can everyone, this would be my, my ask for everyone, buy a reusable mask, which you can wash for situations when that's appropriate. Thank yes, you. I'm with you and you can actually buy them at Mecca. There you go. Can you? Yes. I'm coming to Mecca. Let's go now. Pink and and black ones. They're really cute. They're very cute. See you at Gowing's building, Mecca on George Street. (laughs) You've got it all covered. I'm going there now. (laughs) Thank you, Randy, um, and welcome to Mecca Talks. I am delighted to have you on here today. Super, super excited about your brand, Necessaire, but also now getting Necessaire at Mecca and in Australia has been something that we have been wanting to do for a really long time. So first of all, wanted to say welcome and also how are you feeling about launching into Australia? I couldn't be any more excited. I I feel uh, it's a real privilege and and we all here at Necessaire feel real humbled uh, to launch with you at Mecca. we have been working on it for a little for a little bit uh, with with all of you, and and we're finally here. Um, there's a thousand reasons I'm excited about it. Um, I love your beautiful country, um, but beyond that, I really do feel that the concept uh, behind Necessaire will resonate incredibly well um, in the in your markets. Um, in a meaningful way and trying to create meaningful relationships with, with new folks all over um, that hopefully will love our brand and, and enjoy it. And for some of our listeners today who aren't yet familiar with Necessaire, Randy, can you tell us a little bit about the brand, how you started it? What was the, what was the kind of the inspiration for this incredible brand? And, you know, I've got your products in my shelves and I absolutely love it all. Um, and how, you know, how did you kind of come up with such a beautiful brand that has lovely deep roots as well? Oh, yay. Um, I would I would love to tell you about it. I, you know, first and foremost, I think uh, Necessaire is about three and a half years old. Um, and we were, you know, it's created by Nick and I, Nick Axelrod and, and myself. Nick was my co-founder. Uh, both Nick and I had been in the beauty world for a really long time. Uh, Nick came into the beauty world from the editorial uh, side. He was at Into the Gloss prior, uh, which he co-founded with Emily. Um, and I came from it uh, or came into the beauty world through through products um, and more of the sort of product and marketing side of things. And I had worked at Estee Lauder for about 15 years at brands like Creme de la Mer and uh, Estee Lauder, um, and most recently out here in some of the startup brands in Los Angeles. And and the truth is that we were both so passionate about this category um, that we all enjoy on a daily basis. And yet I think Nick and I were so overwhelmed by just this abundance of choice, um, all these options. 
And that's really where it began for us. How might we create this destination of the necessary? Um, this super simple concept of less is more. This idea of skincare for all of you, right? And then we sort of were like, well, wait a minute. We have this idea of a big sort of destination one day. And where do we start? Um, and we we decided, Kate, to start in in body and make body care the first thought. I, I think love we that. Both, it's so yeah, it's a really interesting route, actually, isn't it? You know, considering you came from real skin brands that were famed yes. for you know face and how to improve your you know your skin and your your anti aging and everything else, but to start with the body, I think, is such a unique way to look at it. Yeah, we were like, you know what, we, we were laughing because we were, you know, we had both landed in Los Angeles and, you know, we were doing green juices and matchas, <laughs> you know, and we were sort of, you know, hiking, putting hiking and all the things. That's right. and, and we were we were putting these crazy things on our bodies and we were like, you know, we were sick of fragrance and shea butter, you know, we, we wanted real ingredients that could address the unique concerns on the body in a in a much more thorough, you know, manner. Um, so we were inspired by that challenge to to start where others end and go the opposite way of of everyone else, and um, really create a community and you know an authentic dialogue around this concept of caring for your body like you do your face. Mm. Um, and that's how it began for us. We were really two pals drinking cheap beer in Korea, <laughs> you know, loving this industry, but also, yeah. you know, acutely aware of, of this, this massive, just amount of choice. And, and, you know, I think when you set out, Kate, you want to, you want to make a mark, you know, for sure. And, and how that much was of, our concept. Yeah. And how much of your um, Scandinavian background really helped inform that brand identity? Because it is that, you know, if you think about the, you know, the Scandi Scandinavian minimalist feeling, necessary really draws in that from from my perspective. But is that something that you you actively thought about? You know, I feel um, I feel really lucky to be from Scandinavia. You know, for many years I was like, I gotta jump to New York and, you know, be in a big place with with all the things. Um, I feel I've learned over the years that. Yes, 150%, the, the very, very essence of necessary is less is more or less but better. You know what I mean? This concept that if we could all buy a little bit less, but, you know, buy something we really want to use, um, that's probably the biggest impact we can have in terms of sort of having a responsible footprint. But I, there are a couple of things that I think I, I carry with me from Scandinavia that you can probably see on display in the brand. And Nick would probably say there's a couple of things that he carries with him that you can see on display in the brand. I think, you know, one thing from a Scandinavian perspective is the concept of less is more, the simplicity, this idea of less but better. Um, that's very loud there, it's just a way of life. Um, I think the second thing is the way that we think about developing products um, and the way we think about performance. Uh, I speak a lot about this with folks when I have the chance to 
to really recognize that it's no longer just about efficacy, Kate, right? Like yeah. the product has to perform, sure. but there is a there is a sort of classic efficacy lens of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, claims what the product does, but then there is how it feels, the texture. Mm. There is um, how it looks, the sign, and here mm. comes the Scandinavian background, right? Yeah. Like just the simplicity <laughs> and the simplicity in design, right? And then I also think that there is this idea of scent and nature in the brand. Um, we're gonna, you know, I feel like that's very true for for Australians as well, right? Mm. We, we talk a lot about, um, you know, that the, the impact of nature in the everyday life. This is why we use essential oils and we think about concepts like nature bathing or forest bathing. These are these are roots of mine that I carry with me from Scandinavia that, you know, you develop a product in a more nuanced way. So when you started, when you started thinking about products, like where did you start? Because I know that, you know, you've, we, we love the eucalyptus tree. It's a native to Australia and it's a hero scent of many of your formulas. Um, was that something that you were when you had because you could go anywhere when you're starting a brand you could have all of the all of the scents in the world you could have all the all the products in the world yeah did you like refine that down because i think it's so, you, you know you could go in so many different ways and and what were those core things that you were looking for was it that you wanted it to to your point i love you're talking about this idea of the you know scandinavian nature and that sort of wild feeling and how did you how did you kind of bottle it ultimately? Yeah, well, I think it's important to recognize that ultimately, necessary simply put exists to to create the care we use every day um, that supports our health and well being. So if it starts there, the first thing to recognize is this concept of skin health, which is where we go into the concept of efficacy has to be king like the product has to work, which means that, you know, you have to have the peptides and the HAs and the all of the things that we're so accustomed to for phase, we really felt we can deliver that for body. And so in some ways, Kate, I started with the product has to stand alone in a fragrance free format. It has to be able to perform without scent first. Um, so that's kind of how how we started this sort of, you, you know, that idea. And then when you then say, well, wait a minute, if it's skin first, health first, that's sort of a tick, right? And then you move over or check. Um, and then you move over and you say, but wait a minute, there are certain instances where a functional scent, an essential oil with aromatherapeutic benefit can make a moment better. Um, and that's particularly in the shower. So you see us having, right, um, you sort of see us have these body washes with these, these, these oils. And, and for me, um, you know, I, I think all you, you can see in our lineup that we're, you know, we're focused on these sort of forest cues, these green cues, these trees, these these things. I didn't sit down and say, okay, you know, I want it to be a spa in the shower, but I think intuitively, intuitively I recognize that 
for many of us, the moment that we have in the shower is one of the few moments we have alone. Do you know, I think that is so, so perfectly right. I was talking about that with someone this week mm -hmm. and it was, a, you know, if you could have any more time to yourself just for that peace of mind, what would it be? And I have four children and my youngest is four. And mm -hmm. when I get in the shower, it's the only time, only time I'm, I'm alone because they follow me everywhere. And, yeah. <laughs> and so creating that beautiful vibe of peace and Bye. tranquility for 20 minutes, 10 minutes, however, however long it takes, I think is so precious. Um, so I absolutely love that. And we were talking about actually, um, just earlier with our producer, Carrie, just about the products that have been really resonating with our customers here. And the, you know, everything that's shower related is, um, is something that's really ringing true. And if you could choose, I mean, obviously they're all your babies, but if you could choose any of your products to be your favorite or your hero, what would it be, Randy? I think for me, um, I love them all. So this is like the, this is like the hardest question you'll ever ask me, <laughs> but I, I'll tell you, I do think it's the body lotion cake. Um, mm. And I, I, it's the body wash and the body lotion. Please, can I pick two? But like, it goes back to the moment, right, of me time in the shower. Mm. But I love um, and have always loved the body lotion. I use it, you know, religiously every day because it, to me, it's like, um, it's like a wrap of comfort. Mm, I love sense. that. Right? It's like, you know, the skin on your body is, it's vast and there is a lot of it. Mm. And I think about it not only as a can-do for firming, moisturizing, strengthening the skin barrier, but the way it feels is, you know, it's another moment of comfort. Um, and I feel like I'm wrapped when I'm putting that on. I feel like my skin feels better. I feel like it, it's, it's in peace, you know? Yeah, I love it too. And I also love your body serum. I think there's something so gorgeously, you know, easy about that as well. It's sort of like you it immediately you put it on your skin and it sort of drinks it in. It makes you feel enormously smooth and hydrated. Um, and I just love the idea of a serum for your body. What a great yes. idea. So good. Yes. Back to the skincare, right? The skincare concept. Um, yeah, so the body serum is one of our favorites. It, it features five molecular weights of hyaluronic acid, and and it has the ability to to get a little bit deeper into skin. And and what I really worked on in that product uh, is exactly right. You're describing it perfectly. It's just, you know, that um, the way that it glides on skin. Mm. And I think when you work uh, in skincare for the body. The textorial performance, the way it feels on skin is a lot harder because, mm -hmm. you know, we have a tendency to put the product on and then either get our daily clothes on or maybe our nighttime PJs or whatever, right? So it's like skincare mm -hmm. and then and then clothes and you gotta you gotta think about those interactivities versus Definitely. your face. Uh, and so it puts pressure on the texture both performing. Um, in a in a physical way, but also performing in the way we live life and the way we behave mm -hmm. uh, every day. And it's obviously 
you know, really truly genderless brand, is that also something that you set out to achieve with Necessaire? And it's, you know, that you can have the, you can have your products on every person's shelf and it's not, you know, it's totally inclusive and it, everybody can use it. And, um, and was that something that you were thinking about in a really focused way or is it, did it organically happen? So you asked me before, right? You said, Ren, you're from Scandinavia. Mm. Um, are there cues? Yes, there is the simplicity cue. Mm. Yes, there is the nature cue, the clean cue. But there is also that idea that, you know, these design cues, um, if, if you think about some of those northern con- you know, countries, they are, they, are, they are symbol in design. They're often unisex. They are, you know, they're not light blue and pink, you know. Mm. They are, they are, there are different sort of families of colors. That's one side of mm. the answer to it. It's just simplicity in design. Mm-hmm. The other side of it is that this, this anytime two people come together to create a brand, you will see, you know, both folks represented in mm. that brand. Yeah. And this is, this brand is created by, by Nick and I, you yeah. know, a boy and a girl. And, you know, we, we, you know, we were in there together talking about the products and they have to work for both of us. And so I think, um, that that automatically happened because we did it together, you know? Um, and and so, you know, you, you're telling me all these, this all this amazing product development, this brand story, and yet you only launched a couple of years ago. And you launched the brand just before the world went into total, absolute meltdown. How did you all, you know, pick yourselves up and carry on and keep, innovating and keep that entrepreneurial spirit when you didn't know what was going to happen how it was going to evolve oh gosh uh that's that's a wonderful question i feel i really do feel like um covid was very you know it was very difficult for all of us um and it was certainly not an easy time to start a business but the gift that necessary was given during that time is that the narrative that we were fighting for um, that we believed in came into the forefront in people's lives you know it was like uh this idea of the moment you and i just spoke about in the shower or the moment of care went from like a luxury that you have here and there to something that became a necessity and and a sense of saying you know feeling sane in this crazy time. And so in fact, I feel that the dialogues that we had on the back end with our clients were incredibly formative for the brand we have today. Um, They helped educate us in the fact that it was not just about efficacy alone it was also about the moment we take from somebody's life and what that moment embodies and you know for some people wait a minute you're talking about a shower well you know sometimes luxury can be a me moment you have time is precious and so i feel like i the community behind necessary educated us on you know the impact we could have in making you know a moment better so that's the romantic side of what what COVID gave us. Now now there's the other side, right? Which is figuring out how to communicate, figuring out how yeah. to get a 
a product made, figuring out how to get a product from A to B, mm-hmm. going out of stock, you know, yeah. all of the things, right? All, all of the, the pains that makes yeah. it hard. Yes, all the things. And that's about people and, and, and the people that, that you have in the company, they make that happen. For sure. And I bet because the brand has got, I love the essence of it. Um, you've, you've, you know, you've tackled the world of body. You go into um, all, you could go into all categories. You could go into a clothing line. You could go into mm-hmm. homewares. Like what is next for Necessaire? Where would you take the brand from here? And is there a kind of game plan to really build out, you know, hair care or? Um, yes. What is what is next and what do you think is the big opportunities for your brand? So I think that uh, I think every brand is a little bit different this way. Um, some brands, you know, stays in one lane. Other brands become, you know, lifestyle spots. I think what I have realized about Necessaire is the power of our name, Kate, mm. in that this you know, I think the journey for us is to create a destination of the necessary. Mm-hmm. And we do really try to talk a lot about in the company, you know, how, like, how can we use that name as a filter for all we do? Is this product necessary? Is this ingredient necessary? Mm-hmm. Is this conversation necessary? Is the time we take from somebody necessary? Mm. So I feel like that's the frame. That's a great sort of way to think about it. It's actually, right. it curates it for you. It does, right? The name is our filter, A, yeah. and then B, you know, we're good at skincare. That's what we're good mm. at. And so we kind of are, you know, we like that concept of skincare for all of you. You know, the body, we just recently tackled neck, right? We're tackling scalp, which, you know, a healthy scalp and all that is happening on the sponge that is the scalp the skin that's acting out in a different way, right? Creates fuller, thicker, healthier hair. Like how can we get in there with our knowledge? And then, you know, we will land on face one day. Um, We will, but that's sort of the journey completely opposite. But I do think when you start in body, um, people will know you for body. And I think what we sort of did was we said, wait a minute, you know, body can be more than yoga poses and shea butter, you know, it can be real skincare for the real concerns we have. So for me, it's three things. It's about the necessary. It's about efficacy, i.e. it has to perform. And thirdly, it has to be skincare. And then that's the filter. That's the box. So body and upward. So Randy, um, today is all about becoming a little bit more conscious of our beauty footprint. And of course, Necessaire really leads the pack in terms of where the industry is going and where it needs to be as well. And when you were concepting, creating and ideating around your brand, how did that topic of sustainability come up? And was that again, you know, you wanted the efficacy, you wanted this kind of really simple brand that talked to body. And was this another pillar that made a big impact on you? Yes. So this is the reason I left my job. Uh, this is the reason that I um, that I left a job in a company. I really loved Kate, right? Mm-hmm. I loved Estee Lauder. I love my time there. It's a, it's a company of, of great integrity. Um, I felt like 
look, my dream is to create pet, the Patagonia of beauty, right? Which, um, you know, takes a very different form when we think about the necessary in, in skincare. And I think, you know, diving into this concept of a responsible company, um, the first thing I realized is that for several years, not several years, several months, I guess, the first couple of years, let's put it that way, I was kind of using that word sustainability all the time, Kate. Sustainability X, sustainability Y, and and I want to get to you know what we've done in the field, which is insane, um, and it's a testament to the amazing team we have. But most of all, I learned about a year ago that that word sustainability was flawed because I realized that the moment we're producing a product, we are not a full loop. We're not fully sustainable. And we had to sort of recognize that necessaire that we needed to instead say, okay, wait a minute. It's not fully sustainable. We have to recognize we have a footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best we can do is to be responsible. Yeah. And uh, that really changes things because mm-hmm. once you are like, wait a minute, this is about minimizing a footprint, mm-hmm. um, then every decision you make is under scrutiny. Yes. So I think once again, the name really helps because if you're creating necessary things that people really use, well, then you're already a step mm-hmm. ahead because the beauty category is you know, famous for like, we buy too much and mm-hmm. we throw half of it out and, and that's just not the way we can continue mm. to operate. So I, I very much, fight for a necessary product that people really use yes uh all the way to the end and if they don't then let's not produce another variant of it let's try to think about the iphone strategy and produce mm-hmm. a better version, version. Of it. so this is very important that's a pillar for us mm-hmm. the second thing that i'm really proud of is that you know when we sort of look at all we do i think about climate as a pillar i think about packaging and how we make things and make things in a better way as a pillar. And then I think about environmental giving as a pillar. Uh And so for us, climate was the first pillar. Um, It's very hard as a young company to tackle it all with integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we chose to tackle tackle was we said, look, we are going to join Climate Neutral, Mm -hmm. which is an amazing organization that started the same year we started. And we became an inaccurate beauty member of their effort to um, measure, offset, and reduce, i.e. set targets to reduce your climate footprint or your carbon footprint uh, every single year. And we've done that and been certified climate neutral since year one. And we continue to really fight for that. And the second thing we were able to do per year one was become a member of the 1% for the planet and sort of embed environmental giving giving Mm. into the brand DNA from the beginning. And then the last two years, we've been fighting at that last pillar of Mm -hmm. how do we make things in a better way? How do we minimize our footprint in the way we do things? And you're about to see a lot of noise from us in the way we talk about it, because I finally feel we have permission to -hmm. speak about our work in this area. Um, And what I would say first is, 
It starts with the choices you make around the, the materials you're using. Yes. Um, trying very hard to, you know, use vendors that are really audited, vetted, mm-hmm. um, that are that have certifications behind them in the way they make things, um, and go there in a deeper and deeper way. We work a lot with European manufacturers. Um, and, you know, the way we do that is today, you know, we are in the bioresins, i.e. eco-materials, or we are in the PCR. We particularly like PCR, right? Post-consumer recycled mm-hmm. content. Um, we're in aluminum, we're in glass where it makes sense. Um, and then what I think is new from us is we partnered with How to Recycle which is a verification system that's backed by the sustainable packaging correlation here in the United States mm-hmm. that are like, all right, you know, we get all these great vendor sheets in beauty. This is recyclable and this is recyclable and this is recyclable. It's all recyclable if you look at it from that yes. lens, but it's the wrong lens. The right lens is, is it actually being recycled? Can the curbside in the country you live in support it? Mm-hmm. And changed everything for us um and so today we actually put verified labels on our cartons that are and we have them on our website where you can see should you be you know should you be throwing this into curbside recycling bins because if we don't help that system we're all just losing mm-hmm. um and then the last pillar is, is the work we're doing with TerraCycle and yeah and making hard to recycle items uh available for recycling so that's kind of a loop process, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about uh, that, our work in packaging combined with our plastic neutral certification, and then you think about environmental giving, you start to see a footprint, Kate, of mm-hmm. a company that's really trying. Yes. Um, but we are also, and I wanted to just share that with you, We we are also recognizing that this work will never be done. We're recognizing that we're not perfect. We've made plenty of mistakes. Um, and I feel this, this, this work humbles us all every day. Um, but sure, it's, you know, this is where the heartstrings are being pulled. Absolutely. You know, and, and, it's, and it's the core of, you know, your passions. And I think what's so wonderful is that with you and Nick, you have come together and created this brand that has true thoughtfulness behind it. And you, you it's a really wonderful place to be when you can start it with those values from day one and not go into it yeah. five years later. It's You're never going to get it right on day one, but your values are there. Um, so, yeah. you know, super, super exciting and really, like, inspirational what you have done and brave because I think you've been you working at Estee Lauder for 15 years and you know probably super happy there and to step out into this brave new world is is nerve-wracking but also so um invigorating like your yes like your shower <laughs> it's yes, like a fresh, <laughs> fresh wake up for you I I can't tell you uh gosh I can't tell you when we just sat there alone, just he and I, with a white piece of paper, and we were like, okay, we, we, we've left our jobs, we're yeah. starting this business, and we're going to go for it, and our heartstrings are pulling us, and gosh, there was a lot of moments, Kate, where I was like, what have I done? Like, how, how are we going to do this? There was a thousand people that we called 
and that that helped us along the way. Um, there's a thousand people we've called and said, gosh, now we really know what you did before because we so are missing that mm. capability or that skill set. Yeah. Um, it's a very humbling thing to to start something because you have to learn to ask for help. You, sure. you have to recognize you can't do it all. And then it's this journey afterwards, like then it sort of begins and then you have to start to let go of it again. Mm-hmm. You know, all the things you did yourself. Now, yeah. wait, I have to hand it back over to somebody. Yeah. Um, so I'm working on that. That's a, that's a you know, area of, 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 you know, of relationship you have with this thing you create, you know? Yes, absolutely. It's your, you know, you've, you've created your own little world and you're the visionary yes. founders and to your point it's like you've got to then step away from that and sort of let them let the machine happen as well and yeah it's fascinating yes. and so you know hats off to you both for producing a brand that we absolutely love at Mecca and we cannot wait for more people to start trying it and to really immerse themselves in the brand and those brand values and um, I just think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal, um, fresh new way of thinking and um, super exciting. So, Randy, thank oh, you so much for being here today and talking to us. Um, and we're, as I say, delighted to have you and the world of Necessaire. It's very necessary to have you at Mecca and we made it work. Mm. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I want to end on this note. Um, I feel like like necessary, Mecca is a, is a is a very very special place with a phenomenal value system and most importantly, you know the very best people. And I know this because I've worked with you guys for I've had the pleasure to work with you guys for many years. And frankly, Kate, we've not had the you know we've not had the the capability to launch tons of retailers, but it was our dream to launch with you uh, as one of our first retailers and. It's such a privilege and we're excited and we can't wait for the future. Um, we can't wait to, to, to all that we're going to create together. Um, we're real, yeah. We feel real honored. So thank Absolutely. you for having me. Seriously. It's, um, it's a it wonderful a partnership and we will we work super, super closely to, together to tell the story yes. in this incredible way. And yes. I cannot wait to come and see you in LA as well. Please do. I can't wait. And you're going to see the wild side of me, which is the yes. fun moment, like crazy. Perfect. You know, I've got one of those too, of Randy. Good. <laughs> and I have, Kate, I have three daughters. So uh, we can we can have a chat about what those shower moments feel oh, like. Oh, yes. You're so right. There's not, there's not a lot of time left. There's right? not a lot of time. So, exactly. Please email well, me, would you? Would you I will, I will. When you come, I would love to take you out. That I would, would absolutely pleasure. do that. 100 percent Okay. So I will just wrap it up now. Um so thank you so much, Randy, for being with us today on Mecca Talks, and we will see you in LA for more magic. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mecca Talks. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your favourite podcast app and you'll be notified as soon as our next episode becomes available. Don't forget to rate, review and share this episode with your friends. To stay up to date on what's going on in the Mechaverse, find us on Instagram at at Mechabeauty or join the conversation in our Mecha Chit Chat Facebook group. You've been listening to Mecha Talks. Thank you for joining us. And I'm on the roll.